Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will look at a movie or TV show written, directed, or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we look at the 1981 neo-noir body heat, written and directed by Lawrence Kasdan, starring William Hurt, Kathleen Turner, and Richard Crenna. To get us started, here is a synopsis. In the midst of a searing Florida heat wave, a woman persuades her lover, a small-town lawyer, to murder her rich husband. Trigger warnings for this episode are for murder, violence, and a homophobic slur. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We get in-depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch the movie and come back. We'll be waiting. All right, Fatal Femmes, we have with us a very special guest today who I'm so excited to talk to. This is actually the first time that I've ever talked to her. We just have connected on Twitter before. Have with us today Hallie Sutton, and we're talking about Body Heat. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Oh, we are so happy to have you. It is our pleasure. So So be here. (laughs) I know you told me that this is a movie that you really love. Um, When was the first time that you saw it or how did it come into your life? Okay. So the first time I ever saw it, I was definitely way too young to see it. Um, (laughs) I think I was probably maybe 11 years old. And uh, actually as an odd story, my dad and I used to do movie nights and my mom had a job where she worked and traveled a bunch. And so uh, he showed me a version of this that was kind of basically like, okay, and then close your eyes for these scenes. And (laughs) So that was my first kind of exposure to it, which is kind of an odd, odd way to discover this movie. Um, but I would say I really reconnected with it like maybe five years ago when I was had really was falling more and more in love with noir and was kind of like, oh, yeah, I remember this movie my dad made me watch when I was little and I kind of liked it and watched it again and was just struck by how well it manages to take so many of the film noir signature tropes and update them to have this really modern feel, how well it kind of develops the DNA of paying homage to this older type of movie, but still feels very modern and uh, new and fresh. Yeah. What about you, Lacey? Yeah, I'll be completely honest. I have just recently learned about this movie because we were covering it. I think it's one of those, like, I knew the name, nothing beyond that. But Mm -hmm. I have to say, as far as modern noirs go, it has to be the best example I've ever seen. Discovered it. It was when I was looking through lists of femme fatales and things like that, and I was like, oh, this is one you have to see. So I watched it. I was like, this is amazing. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a femme fatale. Oh, yes. And then I recently learned through um, researching for this that it was based on Double Indemnity, which Lacey Mm -hmm. just saw for the first time. Yeah, so this is all coming into my life at, like, the perfect time. (laughs) The perfect storm of noir. (laughs) Yeah, because I just saw that Double Indemnity, what, two weeks ago? Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So this is happening at the perfect time. Great. (laughs) So this movie was directed by... Lawrence Kasdan. Yes. Yes. Who was the screenwriter for The Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. This is also his directorial debut, which is their very unique movies, all of them. So... But very distinct styles. Yes. Yes. So I think that's probably attributed something to him because... 
he takes styles very and works with them very well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It has such a different feel than Empire Strikes Back or, I mean, this is came out, would have been what, two or three years after Chinatown by Polanski. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a very different feel than that too, but you can kind of see where it's in that same vein. I mean, it just is, yeah, blockbustery films, but not, not necessarily like in, 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 in a different way mm-hmm. other than that. And what a debut. I mean, strong storytelling style, great performances, just like right out of the gate. This isn't one that's like, oh, well, they'll get better. It's like, no, this is good. This is really good. Great cast, like from Ted Danson to Mickey Rourke to William Hurt and Kathleen Turner. I mean, it's just, it's packed full of people. Yeah. Talent abundance. Yeah. (laughs) Or talent abounds. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and jump into the movie. I mean, like I said, right off the bat, it gets started with the credits. It's this... Yeah, which I feel like we definitely have to mention because it's artwork in itself. Absolutely. The sexy music and the smoke and the curves. It reminds you kind of like Bond, but not Bond. (laughs) Yeah, at least in the way it kind of sets the tone for the whole, whole film, this kind of hazy, sexy, overheated feel to everything. Mm hmm And that's one thing that I was struck when I was watching this is there's so much haze in it. Mm -hmm. Again, right from the start here, there's the foggy scene after the murder. And then there's all this haze and smoke in the bar. And And the fire that starts the movie that they're watching burn. Yeah. Yeah. It's like cold, heat, fog, all of these things play in. Because mm-hmm. I actually, I read a great blog, I want to link it in the podcast, but talking about how the contradiction in the title of Body Heat with right. murder, because it's like, it's a, it's cold-blooded murder, a body is cold when it's dead, but like, it's a, it's a crime of passion, so it's, it's hot, and then the fire, there's At- like all this symbolism. <laughs> Right, right. And that she runs a little hot. Her temperature is, yeah, it, absolutely. And it just, and then interestingly enough, which I'm sure you saw this in your research, but evidently it was really, really cold as they were filming. Yes. And so they're having to simulate this kind of steamy thing out of what was evidently just like freezing temperatures. They were sucking on ice cubes in between takes so that they're like the heat from their breath wouldn't seem too out of place with the heat in the movie, Yeah, <laughs> which is wild. Yeah, I saw that and then watching this because watching it, you can feel how hot it is. So after doing research, after watching it, I was shocked to know that it was cold. And they shot in Florida. Right, right. Yeah, the steaminess of it is almost like another character and it just has this like really Mm -hmm. intense atmosphere that you feel through the screen. So it's like it's funny rewatching scenes like them on the pier and the winds blowing. It's like they were probably freezing. Yeah. <laughs> but they were so sweaty. I guess maybe they were misting them down or something, but yeah. Jeez. Wow. <laughs> it sounds like a miserable shoot, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, they're in summer clothes and things like that. So if it was cold. And they have like sweat stains on the clothes. So they're being doused with water. So uh, they're in the cold, wet. No wonder she looks so fresh the first time yeah. that we see Kathleen Turner. Yeah, because I was like, there's a lot of long sleeves for this being really hot. 
That's a really good point. I didn't even think of that. I, but yes, that's true. Everybody is uh, not, not, it's not, they're not wearing very skimpy clothing considering how hot it is. Right. It's like full suits. Mm-hmm. Women are in long sleeve dresses or blouses. So Which is definitely partially a throwback to the noir for yeah. sure. The aesthetic. Yeah. Cause I mean, even that first time you see, I know I'm jumping ahead, but um, <laughs> that first time you see her walking out of the music concert and that yeah. beautiful dress she's wearing, yes. it just immediately evokes that that feel that right it's a very it feels very double indemnity the first kind of um I'll call it a meat evil you yes. know <laughs> <laughs> that's great no because we were going over our points and we were talking about it and I asked Laura I said is this a would you consider this a meat cute but I like meat evil <laughs> I like that too I think I'm gonna start using that from now on <laughs> yes it's a meat evil so like you said we do start um with this fire in the distance and this smoke and William Hurt's on his balcony all sweaty yeah and I really like this opening shot of him because he's just still you see him watching the fire and then it goes on to him and all the movement behind him is happening but he's not moving at all Mm -hmm. and he clearly isn't too interested in this woman that's getting ready to leave one interesting thing I found too is she mentions about her uniform and almost every woman that we see him with has some sort of uniform. Like she's kind of defined by her job. Yeah. Well think about if he's a law, cause he's a lawyer, not if he's a lawyer, he is a lawyer. He's around, um, he's around police officers, uh, wait staff at the restaurant. So he's probably around a lot of women that would wear uniform. And I also like that he's upset about this place that's burning down. Cause he's like, we, my family went there. This is my history my- that's burning. Yeah. But then he said, it was probably one of my clients that did it. Right. <laughs> Immediately sets up what kind of guy Ned is. Absolutely. And then following it with the courtroom scene where you see, you know, he's not a very good lawyer and he's not a, and he doesn't, he doesn't represent, he's not a very prestigious lawyer. He's taking these kind of ratty little cases. He's kind of nothing special. It's a, it's, it is an interesting intro to him. You know, I kind of think that whenever the first person you're introduced to in a movie or a TV show, it's really easy to align yourself with them. Cause you're kind of like, okay, this person is my entry into the film. I think you have that feeling with William Hurt and then it's pretty quickly undercut by he's, he's nothing he's not that great he's not he's you're not really with a hero of any kind and not even but not even like a villain you're just kind of with a guy who's just kind of like a c c plus dude yeah (laughs) he's just you know skimming by yeah exactly because the judge does tell him next time you're in my courtroom have either a better defense or a better class of client right and he's really excited about the fact that ted danson's character lowenstein is willing to cut a deal with his client he's like oh okay cool yeah let's take that right it's like it's he's gotten the best case scenario and he didn't even win he was just going for kind of settling yeah, it's like, what's the easiest way out of this? Exactly. Which plays into a line that he has later when he is flirting with Kathleen Turner's character after they first meet, where he's like, oh, how do you like your men? Lazy? Uh, <laughs> I've got that. Lazy, horny, ugly. And she says, you don't look lazy, which is like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, no, even- but he's, he's set up as kind of a shyster. Right in the mm-hmm. beginning. Absolutely. And Ted Danson's hair and the glasses. 
they just really did everything for him, didn't they? Oh, yeah. And what a weird touch. I mean, it is my favorite thing. I've seen this movie maybe 15 times. I've watched, made people watch it. I have just like, this movie, for whatever reason, really clicks with me. And one of my favorite parts is Ted Danson's weird little character trait of being the dancing lawyer. Like, there's, there just is so odd and so perfect and bizarre. It's, yeah. I, it's so amazing. Why, why was that in there? But of course it is, and it's great. <laughs> oh, yeah, especially that long bit where he's practicing his dance moves on the pier at night. <laughs> and I'm like, Ted Danson is dancing. Yeah, that's the most important thing. Ted Danson is dancing. Is dancing, yeah. And yeah, I was wondering about that, if that was just something that he was like, guys, I know what I'm going to do. This lawyer's <laughs> going to dance. Or if that was something that the director was like, Oh hey, figure let's let's make him quirky in some way. Let's give him a thing. Yeah. What's his thing? Right. I would be fascinated to know because it is just such a weird specific quirk to him that doesn't really play into it and yet adds this kind of like bizarre glaze on top of the movie. It's very memorable to me. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And it's really funny talking about Ted Danson is in Cheers, which he went on to star in, I think the following year after this movie movie was made, they make a reference to body heat and kind of give him like a knowing look. Amazing. So I found that out in my research. So Go find that. I'm not sure where that would fall in seasons or episodes, but it's there. I'm going to have to watch that episode because I do like Cheers. Yes. And then, of course, now he's on The Good Place, which he's yeah. fantastic in. Yeah, I don't know if they have any Body Heat references on The Good Place. <laughs> I hope they do. That would be great. <laughs> yes. And so he, Ned and Lowenstein are friends, despite the fact that they're both kind of on opposite sides of mm -hmm. things. And they have lunch together at Stella's and they all like to gossip. And I, I, I enjoyed that, their interactions at the diner. Yeah. And the diner, again, is establishing how hot this city yeah. is because it's like you see the fryers going and the AC's blowing but everyone's still just like soaked in sweat the right. waitress is all grumpy because she's hot and she can't think in the heat well and I realize that this isn't a movie about Ted Danson's character but <laughs> another little thing that I really liked is they always give him two glasses of tea yes, yes. he always has two beverages yes <laughs> which again you wonder is that was that in the script or was Danson just like I'm gonna have as much fun as I can and he seems to be <laughs> yeah yeah he definitely seems like he is having the most fun in this movie absolutely absolutely but yeah back to the diner scene too what I think is really interesting is that it does kind of set up that these three guys are all friends and connected even though they're not necessarily always on the same side and it mm -hmm. also shows kind of that they're they have this fascination with Ned, who is put out to be kind of a little bit the like playboy and, you know, they're kind of gossiping about who's he's sleeping with and he's sleeping with somebody new. You kind of get the sense that they're living a little bit vicariously through him, mm -hmm. that kind of the one that can go to the edge and do these different things. But at this point in the movie, he still is part of that bubble. And then I think it's interesting to see how that kind of shifts. That yeah. like he does kind of cross the line where it's no longer living vicariously through him. He's, you know, a criminal. He's murdering people. Yeah. It's gone it's gone far past it being fun. Right. It's something that they can 
joke about. Because, yeah, he's definitely portrayed as the, yeah, the guy who's definitely preoccupied with sex, has a weakness for women, all of those lovely things that yeah. I'm sure men would glorify. <laughs> and even right off the bat, the dialogue in this is just so fast-paced. Because I had to keep pausing it when I was making my notes, and it was like, it's just... Bam, 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 bam. They're just playing off each other, and um, there's not not a dull second, really. Mm-hmm. No, it's just yeah, so very rapid fire, very quick and witty. It's great. Yeah, and so workday's over. We get to see Ned in the evening. It's still hot. And I noticed several times throughout the movie, he is portrayed in a red light. Like there's red light behind him or shining on him. And Mm. colors that I picked up a lot on in this movie are red, white, and black. And I have notes that I'll talk about throughout. But even the red light, it looks like heat, like a heat lamp or Mm -hmm. something. And red lights are notoriously connected with seedier dealings. Yes. So Absolutely. And then that moment when we finally see a breeze, it's just like, oh, oh, thank God. Yeah. (laughs) Right, it's relief for the audience that you're watching. You're like, oh yes, it's it's visceral. The mm-hmm. heat is like a, it is. It's like almost tangible in the film. Um, and then going back to the red too, the moment that we're leading up to, kind of the the meat evil, we'll say, between Kathleen Turner and William Hurt, um, when she spills the cherry slushy on herself too, and stains this white dress, and you know goes from like this white dress vision of innocence to this red right over her heart, which is. Uh, a very interesting foreshadowing that doesn't entirely work out, but it is, it's, it is, it sets you up to think that that's what, where we're going. Yeah. That is such a, a keen observation. Yeah, absolutely. Cause again, you have the hot, the cold, the, right. the red that kind of looks like a blood stain. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. That's great. Yeah. And so this is when we do meet her for the first time. He's just walking past this music venue. She and... almost looks like an extra at first because yes. she just like gets up and she's just kind of, doing your thing but then it but then very quickly you realize that no 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 this is this is the woman this is her right this is her she's, she's been her. waiting for mm-hmm. and their back and forth is just so much fun to watch because again there's there's no space there it's just I have their first exchange I actually wrote it down oh. when she's like I'm a married woman and meaning what meaning I'm not looking for company thing you should have said I'm a happily married woman and she says that's my business what how happy I am and how happy is that and then she says not too smart are you I like that in a man it's so good (laughs) it's just fabulous it is everything you think of and want from a femme fatale yeah she delivers it perfectly I I watched before um, this podcast too, I watched a little clip from uh, Carol Littleton, who is the editor on the film. um, Mm -hmm. And she was talking about kind of oftentimes when she does the first edit, she tries to cut it as quickly as possible, just so you can see where the bare bones of the film are. Mm -hmm. But what really strikes me in that moment is it's just, it's very, it takes its time. Like they have this exchange and you just kind of linger there with them, listening to them, the, evident chemistry between them and for a movie that's really is a lot about like sexual appetite and like heat generated you know between these two people it's just this really intense moment that is sexy without having to show anything or be overly over the top just kind of the the way that they are able to click so immediately with this quick dialogue it's uh it's just great yes absolutely and it creates, it shows that chemistry and it builds on it beautifully, like you said. And it's so intriguing. You want to know more. Yeah. It, 
it's like she says I'm married, but that's not where it ends and it just keeps going. So it's like, how far is it going to go or how long is it going to take to go that far? Right. And so when, when she does spill on her and she asks him to go get the paper towel, um, you know, she makes this very provocative remark. Well, because that's when it changes. Yeah. That's when the whole, it's, it's like this cute little back and forth. And then it's like, oh no, she's for real. Right. But then she's just gone. So I think at least for me, as much as probably with him, it was like, okay, what's her deal? Where'd she go? What's happening? You want more. Yeah. You realize later it's her baiting the hook for him, but it is at this moment, like you have this kind of electric presence on screen and all of a sudden it goes away and you totally understand why he's driving up and down, going to these different bars, trying to find her. Well, and the way that she drops hints about herself is masterful. The, yeah, the dialogue is just so good because, you know, she spills it and she's like, oh, good job, Maddie. And just dropping little hints about, oh, my husband's not home. Oh, he doesn't come up. All these little breadcrumbs. Without just... Even. Yes, without mm-hmm. being so explicit. Yeah, like if I wanted to be that smooth, I would really have to practice for a while because she it's so good. It's so effortless. And since you brought up the editor, I wanted to talk about her a little bit because yes. she's really fascinating to me. Um, she did receive an Academy Award nomination for editing on E.T. When I was watching this, I wondered if there was a woman either involved like in the script writing or something. Because so it felt very balanced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when I saw that it was a woman who edited, I was like, no wonder this movie was treated in the way that it is without, like, you get both of them in the sexy situation. It's not complete female objectification and nothing for the male. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Um, and and even as opposed to a movie like, say, um, which I have a lot of love for, but Basic Instinct that feels mm-hmm. even more male gazy, I would argue, than this one. Even though we are really still kind of in a male perspective, but Maddie kind of feels, even as she's the cipher that you feel like you never really knew, she doesn't, she still feels like a real person. And I, I yes. just feel like just a, just a projection of desire. Right, yeah. She feels completely 3D and fleshed out. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really cool because Lawrence Kasdan actually sought out a female editor. And this started their partnership. They worked on, I think, eight movies after this together. Wow. Yes. Of his 11 movies, she edited nine of them. Yeah. Okay, so nine. But I thought that was really interesting. As a director, he was aware of the perspective and wanting that female gaze. Very cool. And they did say that there was originally more graphic and extensive sex scene footage, but they decided to cut that down to make it a little bit easier to distribute to a wider group of people. Okay. But yeah, I just, I thought that was a really interesting thing about this movie and I really enjoyed the perspective of it that way. Oh yes, so this is when his search for her begins and he's visiting the places that he saw her before and he ends up at the one bar in Pine Haven. Well, that's easy enough. Yeah. It, well, it wasn't too difficult. If I can't find her, at least I'll get a drink. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and again, their interaction there is just... Oh yeah, she's there, by the way. Oh yes, she is there. <laughs> in a white blouse and a red skirt. So yes. back to the red and white. Um, right. In a very red lit bar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The like, guys are all glaring at him because... 
he's the first person that she's let stay in the chair next to her. And I love that because it's just this subtle manipulation of like that macho-ness in a dude. He's like, oh, well, I, I'm king of the mountain now, so I get to sit here. So Absolutely. It's just, yeah, so it's just that subtle, subtle thing just making him feel a little bit more special. Exactly. And then as you, you know, it, it, it's, it's a great moment too, like you're saying, because it is definitely this manipulative move and he's thinking it means that they have this connection. And then as you start to realize what she's doing through the whole movie that she, you know, she's not interested in these other guys because she's not really interested in any of the guys that much. She's looking for something specific. Right. He, he has these lines to her where he says, well, you shouldn't dress like that. And she's like, I'm just wearing clothes. Right. then he says, well, you shouldn't wear that body. It's like, like she's just so sexy. Like it's just too much to handle. And then um, she gets the flash, which I loved. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That was so gratifying. Cause he's yeah. such a slime ball. Cause I mean, yeah, you're, you're watching it from his perspective and in, in a weird way, you do kind of root for him. Now I wouldn't say yeah. root, but you're just, you're in it with yeah. him. Yeah. But also when she slaps him, I'm very, like you said, very happy about that. It's like, yes. And again, another hint that she drops, she's talking about the chimes at the house, which then gives him the opening to be like, oh, let me come to your house and see the chimes. But she's like, only to look at the wind chimes and please leave first because I, this is a community bar and I might come back here with my husband. Right. So again, just, you know, that's just, that's for later. Yeah. It'll make sense later. (laughs) Yeah. So they do go to the house, which is an absolutely gorgeous house and is white. There's just white everywhere. The staircase, the walls, except for the carpet, which is red. She very quickly kicks him out, which... Again, just not before kissing him and saying that she's weak. Yes. Yeah. Which she's not, but not at all. And then locks him out, but he can see her and she just stands there watching him. I mean, it is such a interesting moment, the way that she's wielding power and he doesn't even realize it. Oh, yeah, because she's fully posed, just standing there looking amazing. Yeah, so much so that he smashes a window to get to her. Yeah, so it's like this torrid love affair begins. And I mean... They're just so hot that they can't even wait to get upstairs. Just right there in the hallway. Yeah. On that red carpet. Yes. Ooh. We should mention the part where he's kind of looking out over their property and makes mention of the gazebo and the boathouse that mm-hmm. is they have there. Because that will come into play. Right. Maybe. Just, you know, keep yeah. that in mind for later. And then I kind of had a, a question for you guys about this next scene that comes up where he's in his, he's at his office and the old lady is there who, yeah, like kind of what was the point of that scene? Because we never see her again. And he's talking about that he would have come to see her, but she said, oh, it's good. I'll, I need to do the walking. And he says, well, we'll sue those bastards dry. And I, I didn't get like why that was included in the movie. Yeah, I was curious about that scene as well. I was wondering if it maybe like showed he had a, like a, again, just kind of showing that soft spot for women. I don't right. know. Or, you know, in his own way. Yeah, I was also curious about that scene. Yeah, agreed. I don't, yeah, I don't have any better ideas than that, that maybe, you know, that he, in a weird way, he's taking on these clients that aren't doing much for him, but it's kind of trying to humanize him a little bit, but it is a very odd moment. And doesn't really pay off. Yeah, it feels really out of place because if they were trying to make me like him, they already did too much. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're too far past that. Yeah, exactly. But it is like the lady, the lady that plays that character is great. And I thought, you know, she's like, you have to have an attitude like that these days about suing the bastards drive. Yeah, using I guess coarse language. Maybe too showing that, oh, morals have gone out the window. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe. Uh, Even the old ladies are, <laughs> are turning ship. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so now we are full into this passionate love affair now. There's just naked bodies all over the place. They're just doing it all the time. And it's so hot they have to take an ice bath in yeah. that black bathtub. Must have been murder in the, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> old uh, filming conditions. I mean, that looks horrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, And pouring the ice into the bathtub. Yeah. I was kind of thinking about that as I was re-watching it today. <laughs> and we find out her philosophy on knowledge is power mm-hmm. in this because she's washing the sheets to keep her maid from finding out about this affair. She and... starts smoking the same brand of cigarettes as Ned. Right. Which should really be his first clue that she is so much smarter than him. I mean, she is thinking of these details without even telling him she's getting there, you know? And I, that I think was one of the first moments for me when I rewatched it kind of as an adult going like oh she's really far ahead of him you know you know she's you kind of have an idea of where it's going because you know the tropes of noir but it's just a moment that shows really nicely I think and really subtly how much more clever and like on the ball she is than he even realizes yeah right absolutely but I honestly don't know if he's even smart enough to realize (laughs) that she's smarter than him no probably not yeah and she makes him promise that he won't tell anybody or let on in any way that they are having this affair and i think at that point he's probably like great yeah awesome cool (laughs) is that where she makes the rule like about phone call no no no. i don't i think that comes later the the phone call thing is later yeah i just thought there was something about phone calls there but we get another scene at the diner with him and lowenstein and we meet up with oscar for the first time too oh yeah and all the hot gossip about who he who ned is sleeping with yeah because he has not been at the ymca for their games and he just they haven't talked to him um and i love i love lowenstein's line he said i had a dream last night so boring it woke me up and i was afraid to go back to sleep That is a great line. Oh, yeah. And then Oscar, he has this great speech about when it gets hot, people start trying to kill each other and they feel like the old rules have gone out the window and that crime just is on the rise because of how hot it is outside and people are basically just losing their minds. Mm -hmm. Which reminds me a little bit of that um, short story, Red Wind by Raymond Chandler, where the first lines, I'm going to, I don't know them off the top of my head. I'm going to botch it, but are about when the Santa Ana's come through town and how it affects everyone's morality and how they act. And it just is such an interesting idea that we just keep passing down the way that like weather really affects people's sense of themselves and people's humanity, which I think is really interesting. I don't know if it's true or not, but I, I mean, I know that there is some truth to the idea that uh, under full moons, people tend to commit more crime. It's just, it's really interesting. It's a way to kind of set up where we're heading. I absolutely believe that. I work with kids and I mean, they're not killing each other yet. <laughs> Hopefully not. That's <laughs> terrible. They do, it's like around full moons, they go bonkers. Everybody is just bouncing off the walls every full moon. Interesting. So mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Um, and just another example of that, my aunt worked um, in an ER in admissions and around full moons, she said it would just 
just be crazy in there with all the injuries and things that happened. Accidents, yeah. I would totally believe that extreme weather, either hot or cold, would cause people to just kind of go, not berserk, but just lose the sense of themselves. Well, that kind of reminds me, this is going way off topic, but it kind of reminds me of The Shining, Mm. like with the snow and the cold and the isolation, how that affected him. Yes. So... Just kind of an interesting thing. But I do know when it's hot, I do get murderous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, How hot is it where you are? Uh, In LA, you know, it is very humid right now. I live not far from the beach, which is nice. So I'm probably like 15 degrees cooler than, say, downtown LA. Yeah. But it has been very muggy. And uh, watching Body Heat was kind of like, yep, this tracks. This is (laughs) This fits in with what's happening. (laughs) We're at a balmy 98 today, uh, which is down from what it has been over the last few weeks. I can't remember how many days we've had over 100 this summer. So yeah, watching Body Heat, I'm like, I identify with all that sweat. (laughs) I don't because I'm in the AC, so no. But back to the movie. Oh, wow. That's what we're doing. (laughs) She informs Ned that her husband is coming up for the weekend and she says that he is small and mean and weak and she can't stand the thought of him. They are on white sheets right now. So that another color thing. This will come into play later. <laughs> but he is so obsessed with her that he watches the house. When even when he knows that he can't go there, he's just out watching the house. Yeah. While her husband is there. Yeah. If you weren't sure that Ned wasn't like a super stand up dude, that might, that might tip you off. (laughs) Right. And then the, the next time we see him, he's walking up to the gazebo and there's this lady standing there and he goes, Hey lady, you want to fuck? And (laughs) turns around and it's not Maddie. And as the viewer, you know, it's not Maddie. You know, the second he says it. Which it's like, okay, I get you think that you're like this clever thing, but that's still just, I don't know, kind of a weird thing to just walk up to somebody. and <laughs> Well, yeah, also the fact that he thinks that that's clever. Yeah. Right. And she handles it like a champ, which is your first clue that something's interesting here. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved her response. It's like, oh, people are so friendly here. <laughs> And I love how she is dressed almost exactly like the first time that we saw Maddie exactly. in a flowy long sleeve white thing. Mm-hmm. And we find out that she is Marianne, an old friend of Maddie's who is like a sister to her and um, she can't stay for dinner. Uh, but, it, you know, good to see you. And then she leaves and yeah, she's on her way to Europe and has an envelope. I think uh, Kathleen Turner gives her. Yes. Oh, yes. During their time together, uh, Maddie and Ned's time together, is the first mention that we get of this place called The Breakers that Maddie's husband owns with this group of people that we don't know who they are, but we get the feeling that they're kind of shady and we don't know what her husband is into, but he's probably not a stand-up guy. No, definitely not. And it's also the first time that she drops the hint about him dying. Oh, yeah. yeah. She wishes he was dead. And Ned says, well, there's nothing wrong with him, so he's not going to just die because it would be convenient for us. Oh, and we also find out that she signed a prenup, and if they divorce, she won't. She'll get next to nothing. Which he says doesn't bother him, but he also wishes that she was going to have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Right. She, she does the really sly, subtle thing here, too, of like, 
you know, is it just tell me it's okay. You know, she's at first not driving at the money at all saying, just tell me it's okay. We can be together. It doesn't matter about the money, you know, trying to make it seem like that's not what she's concerned about here. Yeah. And so while she is in, while her husband is in town for this next weekend, they happen to run into each other at this fancy restaurant. Her husband, Edmund, invites Ned to have dinner with them. Yeah, because he can tell something's up immediately. So he... Yeah. My feeling was is he's trying to size him up, see what kind of guy he is. I, I agree. And I I feel like even if this isn't true, I feel like it's 100% William Hurt's fault. Like Kathleen Turner is very cool, has a good poker face. And he's immediately like, what are you doing here, darling? And it's not the way you want to meet the husband of the woman you're sleeping with. Yes, absolutely. No, she's she's fine. Calm, cool, collected. But yeah, you can definitely tell he's sweating and it's not just from the heat. And it's, you know, a nice awkward dinner as it probably would be. Well, not only that, but like he he's he's he knows something's up. Right. He knows something's going on and he's trying to feel this guy out. And then when Maddie leaves the table, because she's too dumb to understand these things. And when, they, oh. when she gets back, they can talk about pantyhose or something interesting. But he's he flat out says, if I thought my wife was having an affair, I'd k- probably kill the man with my bare hands. Yeah. And he also says several times that he's a man who will do whatever is necessary. Yes. In some ways, I f- this feels like the conversation. Well, it's not in some ways. This feels like the conversation that kind of goads Ned into agreeing to the murder oh yes because he makes a comment about that he's one of the guys who won't do what is necessary Mm -hmm. right and i think that's the they share so many awkward laugh scenes especially when the other guy stops laughing (laughs) yeah I'm just like, oh God, this is so cringy. It is so cringy, yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the moment when he decides that he's going to become the guy who will do whatever is necessary. Yeah, I don't know if Edmund would have had that conversation had he known what it would result in. (laughs) Probably not, yeah, not not in his best interest, ultimately. (laughs) (laughs) Because Maddie does sneak into Ned's office, that's when he says, we're going to kill him. Not for any reason other than we just want him dead. Which is cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when the phone thing that you were thinking about. Yeah, because he asked her, he asked how she calls him and she always calls him from a payphone. And there's a shot earlier in the movie. Oh, we totally passed over when Heather was here. Oh, right. Because yes. that that's also an important part. Poor yeah. traumatized little Heather. Yeah, poor Heather. Heather is their niece who came to stay with them for a week. Yeah, she's the daughter of Edmund's sister. Yes. And I think, did Maddie make mention yet? Because talking about the sister will get half of anything that belongs to her brother. Yes. That's happened, okay. Oh, yes, that that did happen earlier. Heather is going to get half. Oh, Heather's going to get half, never mind. But essentially, uh, her mom would control it because Heather's a little girl. Right. And so Heather saw Ned and Maddie together because Ned couldn't stay away. Yeah. For even just a few nights, couldn't control himself. Yep. And he even says that he was standing out in the rain for hours. Again, being a creeper. Yeah, as one <laughs> does, you know. You know <laughs> normal per- things. Yeah, perfectly normal, functioning adult stuff. Totally fine. Uh, so, yeah, they're concocting the plan of how they're going to kill him and get away with it. And like you said, Lacey, she's already only been calling him from payphones. Again, mm-hmm. another sign... Just how smart she is that there's no 
link between them even through phone records. Yeah, and he's like, oh, what a great twist of fate that you managed to do this. <laughs> That's so lucky. And she mentions to him that they should change the will. He's a lawyer. He can rewrite the will. He says, no, we'll get burned. Again, heat, fire, things. All coming together. Heat's rising. <laughs> Which then takes us into the scene where he literally is making bomb trigger thing to start a fire. Yeah, let's not also leave out that this is Mickey Rourke's. Exactly. Like, breakout scene. I was so confused when it first started, because he's just sitting there like... I thought he was singing. Yeah. And I was like, this is... Okay, what's what's happening here? And then, you know, it kind of cuts to Ned working on this incendiary device. Yes, thank you. But it was just so long on him singing that I was like, what? This is intriguing. <laughs> well, I did. I thought he was singing for just a second, and then I realized that I was mistaken. Yeah. Because he was just perfect lip syncing. Yeah. Yeah. A, a talent we didn't know Mickey Rourke had. Yeah. He can take that all the way to drag race. He is... Telling Ned, do you want to do this? I really wouldn't do this. Yeah, the criminal that Ned has helped get away with things is telling Ned, hey, this isn't a good idea. Right. You're probably going to get caught. That uh, He has some great line that I, I can't remember uh, exactly, but I'll paraphrase where he's like, there's a thousand ways to get caught and you're only going to think, if you think of a hundred of them, you're a genius and you're no genius. You know, yep. the, the, the odds are against you and Ned just doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, because at that point, I might start questioning my my plan <laughs> if yeah. a criminal is telling me, hey, I don't think you've thought this all the way through. Then it's it's the night before. Ned and Maddie are together for the last time. They're going over the final details. Yeah, at what point? Because he goes to the breakers. He goes there. Yeah, and watches the security and times everything. Because there's a lot of planning involved in all this. So it's, I guess that's happening around the same time as... When he's making the device that'll ignite the fire. So he, his alibi is that he's in Miami for a real estate thing. Mm -hmm. um, nice and vague real estate deal. And so he drives down there. And there's this shot that I really like of this clown mm -hmm. driving by him. And I'm like, he's the clown. That's exactly, exactly. what I thought too. Like this beautiful totally. thing. Just like, yeah, you're the clown, buddy. And he checks into his hotel and then immediately drives back so he can be ready for the killing. Ready for the killing? Yeah. <laughs> the murder. Gotta get a little warm up for the murder going. <laughs> little murder pump up playlist. <laughs> and of course, right off the bat, everything's going wrong. Edmund is supposed to be downstairs at two o'clock. It's 1.15 and he's like, oh, I'm gonna go downstairs. How can they time not exactly when he's going to be downstairs. I forgot how that worked. Yeah, I don't know. I don't remember either. We found a hole. Yeah, uh, plot hole. Yeah, so Maddie has to stop him. Then he has a gun that nobody knew about. Well, not only does she stop him, she stops him by having sex with him, in which he says, you're trying to kill me. Yeah. It's like, if only you knew. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so he has a gun. Oh, yeah, he's like, this is a surprise, the fucker, or what? Yeah. He has some yeah. line like that. I'm like, well, it's a gun, so yeah, that, that's pretty surprising. <laughs> the murder doesn't go as easy as what they were planning. There's this really thick fog, and they almost get into an accident driving the body to the breakers. Again, this is where I feel the fog is saying more than just I'm fog. Yeah. It's yeah. he's he's driving in this fog. He's narrowly missing things, almost getting into accidents. It's kind of symbolic of the fog he is in in this hole. 
thing. Yeah, because he, he does not see clearly at all through this whole movie. No. So they get there, they plant the body, they plant the bomb, they almost get spotted by the security. Mm-hmm. They're on time, he's running late. It's just problem, problem, problem. Yeah. It's just like at any moment, you just know the bottom's gonna fall out. Right. Or it could. Right. It Right. You have the sense of it's kind of shoddily put together, and yet none of those traps immediately are any of the ones that are the problem. But it just leaves you with this feeling of like dis-ease. Like you know you know this this whole house of cards is going to come tumbling down. So they're not going to see each other for a while. There's yeah. no contact. And then he gets a phone call saying there's something wrong with the new will that you wrote for Mr. Walker. And he is so confused. Yeah, he plays it off really well. That Yeah, that's the one time he does. Right. He's just like, no, really? Hmm. Let me, let me see about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can meet. <laughs> and so it's a big meeting with the lawyers from Miami. Uh, Lowenstein is there. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Roz, Heather's mother, is there because it affects her daughter's part of the will. And Maddie is there. Maddie is there. And... They're all in black, like this black widow grieving. Oh, yeah. It's great. It is great. And again, it's not a part to do with the plot, but it was something that just really amused me was when the one lawyer says, is it okay if I smoke? And so then everybody in the room, except for Lowenstein, pulls out their cigarettes Even and Heather? lights up. Heather's not there. <laughs> yes, no, yes Heather too. Oh no, Heather. <laughs> and Heather lights up too. She's like, I've seen some shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he just says, oh no, I don't need my own. I'll just breathe the air. That's so great. <laughs> I knew it was going to have to do with Ted Danson. Anytime you're like, this funny little bit, it's always Ted yeah. Danson. <laughs> and what comes out of this meeting is that the will is invalid because of how Ned rewrote it. I'm doing air quotes here um, because he didn't rewrite it. Because podcasts don't come with film <laughs> yeah. filmed portions. <laughs> yeah, since the will is invalid in the state of Florida, everything goes to the spouse. Yeah, it's intestate. Is that what it's called? And and even even better, it's that he's the reason the will is invalid is this tiny little mistake that he has made before in a different case that they did mention one other time earlier in the movie. Mm -hmm. So it's it was not an accident, and it was it was something very specific, which Mm -hmm. again is another uh, little clue into how far ahead Maddie is in this whole game. Yes, because because of that error, there's no suspicion around him. It's like, oh, well, he's right. done this before because he's just a shitty lawyer. And the judge that they got to look at this was the judge that we met in, in his, the first courtroom. Right. Who had dealt with this case, the Gorsan case, where yeah. he made errors. problems with the, yeah, he made errors in the will. And um, they were even suing him for malpractice. Yeah. So with that... With the will being invalid, like you said, Maddie gets all the money. She, in the parking lot, invites him to come over to her house tonight. Yep. Not wasting any time there. And he gets ambushed by Oscar and Lonestein when he gets home. They're yeah, they're waiting, waiting in, in his apartment. Yes. And they're like, dude. What did you do? You've made some mistakes before, but you need to watch yourself. And it's it's so interesting um, because it is, again, playing into his reputation as a horn dog, And he's kind of trying to lean into it. He almost has this great cover built in of like, of course I'm this guy. Of course I'm just sleeping with her. Just as long as you can not make yourself look guilty for the murder but of course mm-hmm. that's not gonna work 
And then one, one other last tiny little thing, again, not, not that this movie just needs to be all about all the amazing choices Ted Danson is making, but in that parking lot scene, if you rewatch it, yes, he's dancing <laughs> in the background, like <laughs> background. It is so amazing. I like, it took me like five viewings to catch that. And now every time it makes me laugh. Yeah. I saw that too. The first time I was like, is he dancing? Is he just really happy about the outcome? What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> I didn't notice that one. Yes, you have got to, or not rewind it, (laughs) but you have to go see that. It's so funny. But yes, um, when they're talking to him, Oscar says, you've messed up before and you'll mess up again. It's in your nature. They don't think very highly of him anyway. He's more like a joke. Yeah, that fun friend that they can be like, oh, well, at least... At least my life is better together than Ned's is. Exactly. I mean, at least I'm not Ned. Yeah. (laughs) And it's when he comes over to her house that night that she tells him about her past, that she got in trouble with drugs, and that there was a guy who helped her get clean, and he was a lawyer, and she worked in his office, and that's how she found out about this issue about how she could make the will invalid. Yeah, because if it wasn't clear, she made the new will. Yes, so mm-hmm. she is very intelligent, if we didn't know that already. The sheets on her bed are no longer white. They are now black. <gasps> Intentions have changed. <laughs> and she's also fired her housekeeper. So she's like, we can stay together all the time now. Oh, and then he gets ambushed again. I really like this scene. Um, because now that it's out that he's having an affair with her, they're starting to look closer at Ned. Mm-hmm. And Oscar's called him in and they're like, well, where were you? What's up with this thing in Miami? Lowenstein is walking up and in walks Roz and Heather. And he sits him down in the waiting room, goes into Oscar's office and says, there was this guy that Heather saw with her aunt. Before the husband was killed. Yeah, before the husband was killed. So this is really suspicious. And she's going to tell us what she knows. And they're like, oh, Ned, I know you might not want to see Roz because of all the stuff with the will and everything. So you want to go out the back door? He goes, nope, I'll go out this way. And he actually talks to Heather Mm-hmm. which the guy's bold i'll give him that yeah and i don't think heather recognizes him no no not no doesn't. because as we learn in the diner in a little while she doesn't remember what the dude looked like yeah because all she could remember was that he was seven to eight inches long shiny and very bald <laughs> oh. <laughs> which is so inappropriate but quite funny yes oh my gosh and the reason she got up to go find her aunt was because she had a nightmare and then what she saw probably gave her more nightmares yeah Yeah. it's why she took up smoking yeah but you're right at that moment when he chooses to go confront Heather head on is such a great moment too because it's you can see that Lowenstein um and Oscar are are starting to like really lay a trap for him like trying to see Mm -hmm. if he'll avoid it it's like and he knows it too and he has to do Mm -hmm. this big gamble and it does pay off I mean it's just so so well rendered and so tense and you're not sure if she's going to remember him or not and it's it's just a really well done scene yeah and he again he is playing this off so well because he's acting like this is not a big deal at all but just the way it's filmed and the tension behind it you are just gripping your seat 
And I really like the little girl too, because at first she looks kind of concerned and you're like, oh, does she recognize him? But then when he, you know, bends down to talk to her, she's just all smiles. And I really like that contrast there of like, Mm -hmm. oh wait, does she remember him? Does she know? What's yeah, it leaves you questioning it for just a minute. Yeah. Oh, this is also when he finds out about Edmund's glasses, that he always wore these glasses. And they weren't on him. They weren't on the body. They said they should have been, like, seared into him. And so he goes and confronts Maddie. You know, where are the glasses? What's going on with this? She says... I'd kill myself if I thought this thing would destroy us. Just keep pulling him in, pulling him in. Just that reaffirming, like, oh my gosh, I love you so much. I'd never do anything to hurt you. Right, that it's all about him, you Mm -hmm. know, wanting to be with him and building a life with him. Yeah, we're going to get the money soon. It's all for us. And so he goes back to Miami. Oh, no, wait, this is when Oscar's goes down to Miami. They're pretty sure that he is involved in this murder. Somehow. Oscar wants to try to try to prove that he's not, I mm-hmm. think. He tries to track down Marianne, who was the witness on the will. He's just doing all his investigating to see if maybe Ned is not involved. Lowenstein even has that great line where it's something like, uh, it's killing Oscar because he likes you even more than I do. He's trying, he's trying so hard to find a way that you weren't involved in this. And you're just like, Ned, it's over, man. And he doesn't, you know, he still thinks he can get out. Yes. As part of that, he goes back to Miami, you know, part of his cover with this real estate deal that's not happening. And he runs into this guy in a bar who was part of this um, Gorsan case. And he's a fellow lawyer. Yes, he's a fellow lawyer. And he said, oh, man, uh, well, I was trying to make it up to you. Did you ever meet this lady named Maddie Walker? I met her about a year ago and suggested you to her to do some legal work. He grabs the guy by the shirt and is like, did you tell her about the Corson case? And the guy's like, calm down, man. Yeah, that's when it all starts clicking for Ned. He's like, wait. Wait yeah. just a second, I am being set up. We see all these things that she did to undermine his alibi. Now we find out that somebody called his hotel room repeatedly on the night that he was, the like night of the murder. insisting that they get through to his room because it was an emergency. And he didn't answer. All these things start falling into place. Yeah, uh, Teddy, the, the arsonist, gets arrested for something and he said they're asking me about the fire at the breakers and and this really hot lady came to me and said I need to know how to rig up another one of these devices does that mean anything to you and she wanted to know how to set it on a delay and rig it to a door, to a door. yeah just so many so many uh, nooses tightening around Ned's neck and almost before he it's like too late when he can't do anything Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he can't get a hold of her. He mm-hmm. calls. No answer. He drives to the house. It's dark. And she finally calls and said that she got the money and that Betty the maid had taken the glasses. And was blackmailing her. Yeah. But she's going to put them in the boathouse. He should go get them and she'll be at the house by 7.30 that night, but that he better go get the glasses right away. Mm-hmm. And then they can be together. Then, yes. they'll be, then they'll be free and clear. And he goes to the boathouse, looks through like the crack yeah, of the door. Yeah, he's, because he's really suspicious at this point. Even when he's talking to her, you can hear everything he's saying sounds nice, but his face says it all. 
right? Yeah. We're like, yeah, we've been ahead of you for like 40 minutes, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, welcome to the conversation. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so when he approaches the boathouse, he does so with caution. He's looking through the window and he sees the rope that's rigged to the door that will set the boathouse on fire when he opens it. So yeah. he knows that he's being set up and that Maddie wants him dead. Yeah. And there's a really beautiful scene in Oscar's office with him and Lowenstein. They're just they're just kind of standing there and you can see how how sad they are and they're like, okay, well, just gotta go get him. Yeah, they're resigned to the fact that their friend is part of this. Yeah. Ned goes and gets the gun out of the closet. He's waiting for Maddie. He's in the gazebo, pours himself a drink, wind chimes, you know, it's just atmosphere now. Yeah. She pulls up and she's in, I think the white dress that we saw her in the first time or she's something very similar yeah. to it. Yes. There's, there's this real contrast of dark and light in these scenes that I, I, I mm-hmm. really enjoy. And it's, it's all coming to an end now. He's got the gun and this she's very tense exchange. Yeah. She's still playing him right up to the end. He says that he didn't see the glasses in the boathouse. But she should go check. She's like, are you, are you sure? I'll go. I'll go look. He's, she she knows he has a gun. Yeah, yeah. I was like, it's behind him, and then he brings it to his side very slowly. And so he sends her down there. And I love the shot right before she walks out because she's silhouetted basically because she's in this white dress mm-hmm. and it's all dark behind her. And she turns around and she says, "Just know, I do love you." And then kaboom. Yeah. Yeah. And at the last minute, I think he decided, he's like, oh crap, no. And so right, he starts he runs after her. Yeah, runs after her, but it's too late. The boathouse blows up. And Oscar has gotten there just in time yeah, he to saw, see this. Yeah, he saw the whole thing go down. Uh, the next shot I really love too. It's, he's in prison, but we don't see him right away. It's, the camera is moving over the top of the jail cells. Mm-hmm. And all, you see the guys like laying on their bed and he's just laying there and then he opens his eyes and he goes, she's alive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is a great shot. And he tries to explain his theory to Oscar about how she wasn't really who she said she was. And the the body that they found in the boathouse wasn't who they think it is. That was Mary. That was her friend, Mary Ann, because Maddie's actually Mary Ann and Mary Ann's actually Maddie. And he, he has it all figured out. And Oscar basically is kind of like, guy, you're, you're in prison. You need to get this up. Which he did murder somebody. I'm not saying that he should be let off or anything. But Oscar's saying, hey, you murdered somebody. You need to let this go. Yeah. And he says, I will never stop looking for her. Yeah. And he, and I also like in that scene, there's kind of a callback, um, two different callbacks. One is he says, you know, she was smarter than everybody else. That was her great gift. And she was relentless. She was willing to do whatever it took. And it's a callback to Edmund saying that, like being able to do whatever it takes. Yeah. And she's the one who the whole time has been outsmarting everybody around her. Yes. Yeah. I I wrote that down. Um, That was her special gift. She was quick and smart. And yeah, she she was willing to do what was necessary. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I do like how we see the passage of time. Cause you know, he's got in the next scene, he's got this beard. He's gotten this yearbook that he requested and he flips to the picture of Maddie Walker. And it's the Mary woman Ann. that we know as Marianne. And then he finds a picture of Marianne and it's the woman that we know as Maddie Walker. So his theory about the women switching places 
was correct. And I think it's really interesting that underneath Marianne, aka Maddie's picture, is the vamp. The vamp, yeah. It's so good. And then her ambition is to be rich and live in a foreign land. Yes. And then the final shot of the movie is her on this beautiful beach. There's some guy next to her, but we never see him really and is she looking at a spider web in that scene i think so yes because there's a scene where she's looking at a spider web and i was thinking she's the spider right like and she weaved this whole plot but what the guy says are you hot what does he say it's hot and she says yes yes and puts on her sunglasses again she can't escape the heat yeah Oh, she can't escape the heat. She can't escape her sins. That's true. (laughs) But yeah, I love the ending of that. It just, it's so noir-esque. And I kind of love that she got away with it because I just, I kind of wanted her to. She had to put up with all these bullshit dudes, so really did and she and she was smarter i mean she she did a she did horrible stuff she did engineer a murder and leave ned out to dry but i she she was she outplayed everybody yeah and it's just like women especially like of that time it's like you weren't considered and no one did think that you could do um you no one thought a woman could be capable of such things Right. Even even in the 80s, it was still like, oh, no, women, you know, soft, sweet. They only do these things. So it's always cool to see that femme fatale that turns the stereotype on its head. And uses- right, and that you know, the noir films of the 1940s and 50s, they were able to kind of bypass some of those codes because people got their comeuppance in the end. Yes. And she, in fact, doesn't. You know, you could argue that maybe she's lonely or she kind of has this, like, empty look on her face at the end. But she does, in fact, get what she wants and she wins. Yes, she does. And Yeah. And like you said, it's like every time in noir, the way they got away with the femme fatale is because, they, like you said, they always got, got received consequences in the end. It was cool to see a woman do something that men do all the time in movies. But right. but see some but see a woman come out on top. Yeah, she had it planned where there he 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 was stuck with the blame. There wasn't really anything he could do. Well, about and, it. And, yeah, because he he was to blame. Well, yeah, right, he was guilty. He was. I mean, he is too. But he he she didn't frame him for something he didn't do. Yeah, he he was a willing participant in it all. Yeah. In fact, you could argue. I mean, yeah, she did manipulate him, but it was his idea. Yeah, it was, was his idea. So. I mean, she didn't make him do anything he didn't want to do. I think it's interesting, Kathleen Turner, you know, she's known as, like, one of the hundred sexiest stars in film history. And, you know, this is this was a very um, provocative movie with the amount of nakedness in it. Well, and, yeah, and it was her debut. This yeah. made her a star. What was her first movie? She'd only been acting in soap operas before mm-hmm. this. Um, but she was raised in a strict conservative Christian household. Oh, um, I didn't that. What do you think would breed this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, she wanted to be a performer, but her parents discouraged it, and she said that her fa- her father was of missionary stock, and that theater and acting were just one step away from being a streetwalker to him. Wow. Can you imagine their reception to this movie? Yeah. Like, uh, there's a really funny story, just thinking about that, of Ted Danson's mom. Because she told him that she went and saw the movie, but she left because it was so, like graphic and like there was so much sex in it so she left and he didn't find out till after she died that she had never seen it the whole thing but she told him it was great and everything like that oh so yeah coming back to ted danson the real star yeah the real star (laughs) of the movie Um, back to ted danson in the end 
Ted Danson's dancing. Yeah. yeah. Also, I didn't know that she had really bad rheumatoid arthritis and she had to stop acting in the 90s because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until they came out with new medicines for it that she was able to start acting again. She turned down the lead roles in Ghost and the Bridges of Madison County. Oh, wow. Because of health issues. Wow. Um, Those have been very different movies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, she was wheelchair bound for a while. Oh my goodness. Poor thing. She said that Body Heat was a blessing because she went straight to being a leading actor and didn't have to suffer a lot of the predatory male behavior that a lot of other young actresses did. And Mm. she said, it doesn't frustrate me that nearly four decades after the film, I'm still referred to as a sexual icon. And and then I really like this story about her. She was often compared to a young Lauren Bacall. Well, because their debuts, like their big claims, I, I keep saying debut, that's not the right word, but the roles that made them stars were very similar. Yes. And they had the same kind of raspy voice. Exactly. The the kind of lowish voice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she actually got to meet Lauren Bacall one time. And when she did, she introduced herself by saying, I'm the young you. Oh. <laughs> Which well, I don't think I'd have the guts to say to Lauren no. Bacall. I feel like Lauren Bacall might have a sense of humor about that. She yeah, I could have. see that. It's like, oh, ha Sure. You are. <laughs> oh, I also thought this was interesting. Uh, when she was in school and in plays, her dad would sit out in the car in the parking lot and her mom would watch the show and at intermission go out and tell her dad that she's doing a good job and then go in and watch the rest of the play. What? That's so weird. Yeah. So weird. That's like being supportive without being supported. I don't even know what you yeah. call that. It's like, okay, well, I want to make sure she's doing well, but I don't want to see it. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's so weird. Well, she initially, and this isn't talking about her her parents, but she initially wasn't allowed to audition for the role. They didn't think she had the, someone, I can't remember who it was. There was someone involved that didn't think she could do it. And so she went in to um, the audition and she said she remembered it was this all white room and it had this bear, this white bearskin, I don't know if it was bearskin, but this white fur rug and this ashtray full of cigarettes. Like they'd been, just been sitting there and just like talking about the girl for body heat all day. And so she walked in, didn't get a super warm reception and kind of was just kind of barked orders at, and they said, do drunk. So she started acting drunk and she took the ashtray and she threw it across the room and all the ashes from the cigarettes just flew everywhere all over this all white room and just peppered it and she said after that their attitudes immediately changed and they started being nicer to her (laughs) isn't that crazy yeah that's how you get things done that Uh. is so gratifying to do yeah. I'm not an actor, but I'd still like to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. The movie got, it's had a really good reception since it came out and continues to have good ratings on like Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb and places mm-hmm. like that. There was one critic who dismissed the film, though. It was, I, th- I believe it was a woman as well. I thought yeah. that was interesting. Citing its insinuating, hotted up dialogue that would be fun to hoot at if only the hushed sleepwalking oh, yeah. manner of the film didn't make you cringe or yawn. Jeez. Someone sounds a little frustrated. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Another critic said that it was the best original screenplay since Chinatown. Wow. Oh yeah. Ted Danson is mentioned as the tap dancing prosecutor. (laughs) Um, Now there's a movie. Yeah. That's a film noir. Oh my gosh. A musical, the tap dancing Dancing prosecutor. Prosecutor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was in Roger Ebert's uh, 10 
best list for the year. Mm -hmm. I have these long quotes on here, but I don't want to just like read all of them. (laughs) Let me just read on this Um, podcast. Another critic said that Body Heat was skillfully, though slavishly, derived from the 1940s classics. She said, Mr. Hurt does a wonderful job of bringing Ned to life, but she was not impressed by Miss Turner. Oof. What is with this misogyny from the women? I know. What's happening? And now, I mean, then... People were, because this launched well, Kathleen that's, Turner to start up. But also strong women that were smarter than men were very scary. So yeah. if you had a very like strong connection to your internalized misogyny, that would be very, very threatening. That's true. And then this other review says, it has a power that transcends its sources. Um, mm. Talking about double indemnity because it was based on that yeah i i'm gonna say it right now i enjoyed it more than double indemnity really i did i did i just i i don't know what it was maybe it was um kathleen turner Mm because i appreciate it i thought it was really well done but this one just grabbed me and i was interested in it i never there was never a lull in there for me right it is it is a pretty uh it's a pot boiler i mean it just it it goes you're kind of just launched into it Mm mm-hmm yeah. And again, I think just her coming out on top in the end. Yes. Was what, I don't know if that's what sealed the deal for me, but I like that. Yeah. I like that, you know, she didn't have to be imprisoned or killed or something had to happen to her. Or punished. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. She just, she got away with the money and nobody's looking for her because they think she's dead. Yep. So she literally got away scot-free. So neatly done. Does this pass the Bechtel test? No. No. <laughs> but I'm okay with it. Yeah. Because like we've established in earlier episodes, like the Bechdel test doesn't really mean anything to me. So. And I mean, there are lots of female characters with names. Yeah. Heather, Roz, Maddie, Marianne. Wow. I know. <laughs> but there's so many movies that don't <laughs> no, even have I that. Know. I just love it. There are women with names. I know. The bar is so low at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, we are just batting a thousand here. But yeah, they usually are always talking about a dude. Yes, absolutely they are, which is unfortunate. But I mean, it's a hell of a role for Kathleen Turner. But yes, it is not uh, not a Becked Up test passing film by any means. No. Yeah. Unless you think about it and the fact that they're talking about, she's talking about men, but as kind of like a tool or a resource, not as a person. Right. Yeah, that is true. Right. She's not, she's, the way it revolves around men is not her subjugating herself to a man, but it does. They are there. There is more screen time devoted to men for sure. Yes, for sure. Yeah. 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 So here's a question I have for you guys. She said like her last thing that she says to Ned is no matter what you think, I do love you. Do you think she actually loved him? I think that's such a great question. I have the same question in my mind. I, you know, there's no real reason for her to say that at that point. She's, she's about to get everything she wants, no matter how it goes. I mean, unless she wants him to chase after her and into the explosion and that he dies. I mean, there's no, there's no real motivation for her to say that unless she actually meant it. But at the same time, does she mean it? You know, I mean, I, I'm kind of on board for the idea that maybe she did love him and still was like, but I still want this other life more. And I I'm doing this. I, I can be on board for that, but I, I don't know that I'm convinced that she does mean it, but I can't, I guess I can't come down on the side of why she would say it just to say it unless she's just twisting the knife. Yeah, because it's like, that would be, I think that's the easiest answer. Like, oh, she's just, that's, 
just part, further manipulation. But mm -hmm. I think it's, to me, she's such a com complex character and she's so intelligent. Maybe there is a part of her that loves an aspect of him. Yeah. But not more than her freedom. But right. She's like, I do love you. You were fun and I appreciate you for these things, but... I gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> I got a thing. Which I'm honestly, I'm there for. I'm on board for that. I don't, I don't hate that narrative of like, you know, maybe she did care about him and still was like, yeah, but I'm a do me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Because it's, it's one of those. It's like just because you love someone doesn't mean you're supposed to be with them, or just because you like someone for certain reasons doesn't mean they're the right person. Mm -hmm. it's like well no this just happened to be one this happened to be her favorite toy right like you I liked you a little bit more than maybe the others <laughs> this is a movie that was written and directed by a man based on a book written by a man based mm. on a movie written and directed by a man you know we are female centered here in what we talk about so why why aside from some of the things we've already discussed was this a movie that we should talk about it comes down to the thoughtfulness of the director mm. because so many times the reason we make those comments about male directors is because they're falling into the same kind of tropes that directors often fall into and I felt like Lawrence Kasdan I don't know his background or anything like that but it did feel like he was coming at this from a more thoughtful place and it wasn't about him being right or the be-all it was about getting the movie right mm -hmm. or it feels like the balance of perspectives was integral to the success of the movie I would agree. And I would say too, I'm really, you know, we'll never know what it would have been like without the work of Carol Littleton as the editor mm -hmm. to kind of make that, make it maybe more balanced. But to me, it, it is interesting for being a male-centered, male-written, male-directed, male-centered in some ways, and it doesn't feel as exploitative as it as it very easily could have, in my yeah, opinion. I completely agree, because even though there are gratuitous sex scenes and lots of nudity, it never feels, like you said, exploitive. Yeah. It, it feels it feels necessary. Right. Yeah. It builds. Yeah, and and the screen time of of like the nakedness is shared between them. It's not like just always on her or just right. you see them together. And, right. Yeah. And often in the sex scenes, I'm thinking of one in particular, it centers on her face a lot, which is yes. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was watching that today. That was very awkward when my roommate came out. I'm like, <laughs> he's like, what you do? And I was like, but he. <laughs> but yeah, like right during that scene. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's great though because it does focus on her, but it doesn't feel icky. What letter grade A through F would you give this? And whoever wants to go first. Oh, one of y'all go first. Um. Okay, I'll go first. This is an A movie to me. Mm -hmm. It's so well shot, so well written. So the design aspects, the acting, everything just goes together to make it really, really in enjoyable, so easy to watch, something that you could watch over and over and get something new out of it each time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, t I totally agree. I cannot be unbiased about this movie, but I definitely give it an A as well. And I, I agree with that. I mean, it's just, it's so intricately plotted too. And it, it does hold up when you rewatch it, even though, you know, it doesn't rely on the fact that there's a twist that Maddie was bad, because if you're paying attention, it shouldn't be much of a twist, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, and it, appreciate that that you're uh you can still see how she's doing this you can still see all the ways that Ned is getting sucked in and still marvel at how well it's done how subtle 
you know, she's threading these little clues before we even know to look for them. It's just, it's really well done. Absolutely. I will jump right on the end of that and say A as well for me. It's not the result, it's the journey. It's not the destination, it's the journey. So it's that, and I think that's what it is kind of because you get to see it, especially watching it again. It's like watching a master work, Mm -hmm. like create a masterpiece. So you can really appreciate all of the intricacies and nuance that has to go into this plan working. Right. And I think giving a woman that much power in a film is so great. And even though it is heavily male-centered, it's it's all coming back to her. And it's all to do with her plan and what she wants. Yeah. yeah. So I think as a woman, that's really, um, I keep using the word gratifying, but it is. It's cool to see women portrayed that way. Okay, awesome. Uh, what are your recommendations? If somebody liked this, what should they watch or read or listen to next? Okay, I have I have some good ones. I mean, I think if you liked this and you haven't seen Double Indemnity, you definitely have to see Double Indemnity just to see the ways that it kind of pays homage to this great noir and definitely recommend reading the book too, which the book is like 100 pages. It'll be fast. Mm. Uh, but then I am a huge fan. I mean, we're really kind of having a moment in like crime and thriller, thriller um, books that really center women and females experience. And I think that's part of the reason I'm so drawn to this movie is that even though it doesn't do it perfectly, and I would not say that this is a feminist film, I would say it is a stepping stone towards uh, moving to making women a more whole part of kind of the noir tropey story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to that end, I would recommend kind of anything by Megan Abbott. I think she's a goddess. Oh, okay. um, and including one of my favorites is Queen Pin, which is kind of this noir throwback of hers, her latest this book is called Give Me Your Hand, just came out in paperback um, the last few months, and it is really fabulous. It's about female ambition and success and drive. It's really interesting. And then another one that I would recommend is a book called Miami Purity by Vicki Hendricks, which is kind of basically rewriting double indemnity from the point of view of a woman, the the woman. Well, I guess it's like the woman is playing kind of the Ned role, sort of not to give things away, but um, it's set in Miami, I think in the 1990s, and it is fabulous read. Very, very hard-boiled noir done well from a feminist angle. Oh, nice. that sounds awesome. I haven't heard of that one. Thank you. Very Yeah, cool. it's great. Fabulous. Yeah, my recommendation was totally double indemnity because I feel like there's such strong ties to this movie. Like the whole mm-hmm. time I could see the influence. But I think just if you enjoy this movie, I think a study of film noir, just going back and watching original film noirs would be really, really fun for a viewer. Um, Anything but Ida Lupino because Mm. love love her work. Even looking at To Have and To Have Not with Lauren Bacall would be a great option too. Just kind of looking at all of those parallels and similarities. What kind of gave this movie its foundation? Well, my recommendation is one that I just watched for the first time. Um, I'm going to stick with Kathleen Turner and recommends Serial Mom from 1994, uh, written and directed by John Waters. It stars Kathleen Turner. It was one of the first movies that she was able to do um, once she got back into acting. It's about a sweet mother who finds herself participating in homicidal activities when she sees the occasion calls for it. Oh, fun. Oh, I'm there. Nice. And it's it's fun because it's kind of like leave it to beaver goes crazy I but love in that. modern that's great um because she's this perfect smiling mother who just is like oh this person's not wearing their seatbelt. 
I need to kill them. Oh my gosh. Wow. That's a hard sell, Laura. You totally got me. Oh, I know. I'm like, I think I know what I'm doing tonight, honestly. Yeah, I'm right there with you because Leave It to Beaver goes crazy. That is awesome. (laughs) That sounds like a punk band. Yeah. (laughs) The story about how we connected is kind of funny because... I actually heard you on another podcast uh, talking about your book and then somehow we ended up like liking each other's tweets and I was like that name sounds really familiar I've heard that name recently (laughs) and I went back and I looked at the the guests on the um, unlikable female characters podcast I was like oh yeah wow her book sounded really cool um So would you like to tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. Sure, absolutely. Um, My first novel is called The Lady Upstairs, and it's coming out from Putnam in summer 2020. Uh, So next summer, look for it. And it's, I would describe it as a modern feminist take on the femme fatale trope. It's about women who run a blackmail agency in Los Angeles targeting the rich bad men of the city to blackmail basically in kind of a honeypot operation where they train girls to seduce them and then take pictures of them and blackmail them for money or power or um, just kind of to change their behavior. And a case goes really wrong and there's a body count and they kind of have to figure their way out of it. But that's kind of my short log line of the, of the book. And again, I am sold. Yeah. Cause that just, that said all the things that I like. So <laughs> I can't wait to read um, that. And I basically just, part of the reason Body Heat is so near and dear um, to my heart is I watched it probably a million times while I was writing this book, just kind of as inspiration, the snappy dialogue, just Mm -hmm. something about it really fed my creative process. So, Oh, that's so cool. And you said that's coming out in early 2020? Summer, summer 2020. I am hoping to have a release date in the next uh, few weeks, but I don't even know what month, but we're going to be in summer. So it'll be a summer book. Congratulations. That's so exciting. Thank you. Yeah. That's so cool to see women just owning it and putting out amazing content because I, that book with synopsis, that's what it's called. I can't think. Sounds amazing. Thank you. I'm I it was a lot of fun to write and to channel my rage into. <laughs> hey, we all need that. And might as well make art out of it, right? Exactly. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about Body Heat. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Femmes. Like us on Facebook at Fatal Femmes and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fatal underscore Femmes. Have a question or comment for the show? Shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are now available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or whatever podcatcher you use. Don't forget to leave us a rating while you're there. If you like what you've heard, check out our Patreon page. We have different sponsorship levels with perks that will allow us to make more content and better quality episodes. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Because if you didn't, the consequences could be fatal. Thanks for listening.